Welcome to Leadership Lessons. I'm Todd Gray, the Executive Director for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Leadership Lessons is a program where we talk to faithful leaders who are making an impact for the gospel. My guest today is Lance Howerton. Lance is the president of Crossings Ministries in Kentucky, a camp ministry. He's married to Susan, father of Lindsay and Jordan. Lance, I can't read my own writing. Do I have the names right? You got it. All right. Lance received Jesus somewhere around the age of nine, surrendered to ministry at the ripe young age of around 21, and graduated from Campbellsville University. Uh, Lance has worked at Lifeway as well as other ministry roles. One of the things I love about Lance, uh, I appreciate him personally and a friendship that he and I really come to develop in the last two years. But Lance is a student of leadership principles and uh, always has on his mind a couple of things that he's trying to apply to his his life and ministry. And Lance, I just think it's valuable when a person is a lifelong learner and trying to uh, grow and develop as, as a leader. I appreciate that about you. And appreciate your your personal friendship. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I get that question a lot. I, I think it's because uh, COVID has really impacted what we do. Obviously, right? We've been shut down for a year, and I think people are like, "How are you?" And I'm like, "I'm I'm good." They're like, "How are you really?" And yeah, my answer, really yeah, we're really doing good. Uh, Crossings have been incredibly blessed to get through COVID. We can see the other side of it, right? Our registration numbers are good, so. Um, most camps are really struggling and man, we are praising God for the position we're in right now. So I'm really good. Lance, do, do people ask you questions sometimes that really are simple, general questions, but you, it's just like, it can't be answered in a simple way. Kind of like, like, how are you doing? How are you really doing? Or, um, like how, how are things at crossings? When, when someone asks you, how are things at crossings? Do you have a short kind of one sentence answer, one word or two sentences? What do you, how do you, how do you answer that question? I'd say, man, we're really great. We had a plan to get to the other side of this. God's been better to us than we had even dreamed or planned. And for me, as long as our people are good, healthy, positive, then I'm good and our people are really good. Well, that's such a good answer. You've obviously thought through that and, and have, have practiced it a time or two. I have some, I, I have so many battles in my mind when someone asks me that question. In, a, in about two minutes, they're just wishing they wouldn't have asked it. You know, it's like I didn't really need to know all that. If, if you would have just said things were fine, that would have been would have been sufficient. Well, Lance, tell us about your journey into camp ministry. So, Crossings for folks who may not know, Crossings is a camp ministry. Uh, how would you define the, the ministry of Crossings, and then tell us how you got into that line of work? Yes, yeah, so Crossings. Uh... We own two properties, right? One in western Kentucky, land between the lakes. One uh, more central Kentucky, Baghdad's the mailing address. But think of it kind of between uh, Louisville and Frankfurt, more more on the Frankfurt side a little bit. Um, We primarily are summer, but we do offer retreats. So what's unique to us in camp world is we do the programming. So most facilities just rent to outside groups, but we actually do the programming for them. So if a church comes to camp with us, we take care of everything. Our goal is to be incredibly focused on the gospel. There's nothing you should do while you're at camp with us that they don't hear the gospel. And we try to make it simple for a youth pastor so they can hang out with their students and make life really simple for them. We do try to do some things to invest in them also. So that's kind of the general sense of crossings. Now, I got into camp ministry is kind of weird because I didn't grow up going to camp. I went to camp one time in my whole life to RA camp. I was It was in Missouri. Um, 
that's where I came to know the Lord at. I, I, I walked the aisle down there, and I remember because I'd walked the aisle when I was younger. My best friend in first grade walked the aisle, and I wanted to do what he did. So I walked the aisle. My dad had me, I'll never forget it, sit in the car with the guy who walked, to, who, uh, who, to, who helped him come to Christ, right? The guy who led him to the Lord. So he had me meet with a guy. And to this day, I remember him saying to me, do you know who Jesus is? And I remember saying no. And yet that day I walked down the aisle. He had me walk down that aisle. And it really meant nothing to me. I just wanted to do what my buddy did. Yeah. Yeah. But when the Lord convicted me, he actually did it at camp. And then I never went again. So I'd never been to camp before that. I'd never been to camp after that. Got through college, was in seminary, and I'm literally walking down the hall one day, and a girl named Paula Kenny stopped me in the hall. Now, I got to tell you, I'm a, I, I was studying music, so both my undergrad and my master's is in music. So I'm walking down the hall. Paula Kenny stops me in the hall and says, Lance, I did something last summer I think you would really enjoy, and I think you'd really it would really resonate with you. And I said, okay, well, what's that? And she said, I work for this camp called Centrifuge. And... I thought, well, why does she, I, I was not your typical music student, right? A lot of more ties back in those days. It was not me. It was never that guy. I was always kind of laid back and casual. My goal was to never work at a place that I couldn't wear jeans to, even back in the 80s. But because uh, of some things going on in my life, I thought, man, this is a way. I'd been dating a girl for seven years. Come to find out she'd been seeing somebody else on the side. We'd been engaged on and off for a few times. So a minister of music had her, her home church. She's the pianist. I'm trying to, it's just like God said, here's your way out. I had no idea what was going to happen. But when I got offered the position, I, I went to work for camp that summer, just kind of as an escape. And man, God just got a hold of me. I fell in love with camp, not just for what it does for students, but actually what it does for those of us who worked it. So my journey to camp was kind of unique. Six years in the local church, got a call one day, hey, would you, uh, from Joe Palmer at Lifeway, asked me if I would be in. I had worked as an intern for a year there, so that was kind of my relational connection to Lifeway at that point, the Baptist Science School Board. But he asked me, asked me about coming to work full time. Remember flying down, meeting with him. Uh, won't go into all the details, but I remember flying back to Washington D.C. We were right outside D.C. at First Baptist Church, Gaithersburg, and I'm sure the person sitting next to me thought there was something wrong with me because I just, I just couldn't. I just trying to figure out what the Lord wanted from me, right? I was going to take a big pay cut, move my family. Um, I was just, man, what's the right thing for me? But I, but I knew I loved camp and I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I just, uh, I got a piece about it and I wound up, I wound up moving to Nashville in 1991, January, 1991. Wow. That story story about Paula Kinney and, and the girlfriend and how you got into camp Man, that's like straight out of the Bible. That that's incre- that's an incredible story. So were you were you when you were in that painful time of a, of an in and out relationship or back and forth on and off relationship, and then trying to figure things out? Were you like, man, I know God has got this, and I know God's good. I'm just just smooth sailing for me. I'm trusting the Lord. Or were you like, Lord, what on earth is going on here? Which one of those best describes you? I'm more though. What on earth is going on here, right? Because <laughs> um, I remember. I mean, I hate to go into detail about this, but I remember uh, we had graduated. We went back to Campbellsville to see a basketball game, and, and she was sitting with a friend of hers, and I was sitting with our kind of our college crowd, and one of them leaned over and said to me, you know who Karen's sitting with, right? And I said, yeah. The girl's name, Tammy, won't say her last name, but I, she said, no, she's actually sitting with her brother. She's been seeing him for the last. And I'm like, oh, 
So made the ride back to Louisville, where we where we both lived. Made the ride back to Louisville uh, really interesting. Wow, that's really that's really difficult. And yet God was was doing so much. He brought you to eventually. How did you meet Susan? Where did you two meet? So the first time we met, she actually dated my neighbor in seminary. He had the room right next to me, and her she went to Sanford. So her uh, friend from Sanford was coming up to Louisville, and she connected uh, me. She introduced me. My friend, who was coming to Nash to Louisville, brought her Susan with her, and we met that day there. But we actually worked camp together in 1985. Uh, she had she she broke up with my my na- seminary neighbor. She broke up with him that summer right before camp started. She dated another guy all summer. But when camp was over, we stayed in touch. And I guess we're going to have the rest is history, right? Yeah. I'm married like way up. Let me tell you, I'm married way up. Yeah, I don't doubt that at all. It sounds like a good a good history. So um, what does camp look like in 2021? Yeah, COVID obviously has changed a lot of things. And man, I'll tell you, I met with a group of uh, camp leaders a couple of weeks ago. And it's just different for everybody, right? But but again, we're unique because we do the programming. So kind of what I've been telling people, one of the DNA of crossings that I really love is, man, we really listen to and talk to group leaders a lot. So I, I've met uh, with three different groups of children's ministers and three great, different groups of student ministers uh, on, on, on on teams, Zoom, Zoom's, uh, teams, teams, Zoom, teams, Zoom, is the way to put it. Anyway, it's Zoom platform, kind of platform. And uh, so I met with them uh, several times just to kind of tell them, here's what camp's going to look like. And what I always say to them is we're trying to follow the CDC guidelines and we're trying to follow the guidelines of our governor. Right. We um, we, we feel like we need to follow what the law is asking of, of, of us to do. I do believe, you know, they want it to be protected and safe. So I always think about protecting students in a couple of ways, whether it's covid uh, or whether it's on a zip line. Right. There's yeah. the man. Have I done? If I have to sit in a court of law and uh, answer questions on oath, would I be able to adequately say I did everything I could to protect your child? And then the second part of that is, if I had to look mom in the eye, would I be able to say the same thing? And they're not always the same. So we want to protect the student, right? Safety is always our primary concern. COVID adds a new layer to that. So. We're really working hard to follow both the CDC guidelines and the state. We've been working with uh, a lady. There's an organization called Camp Nurse Association, and the executive director happens to live here in Louisville and goes to Kenwood Baptist Church. So she's worked directly with the CDC on camp guidelines, uh, both for the ACA, American Camping Association, which is not a Christian organization, just a broad camp organization, and then 3CA, which is Christian Camp and Conference Association. So she's a medical expert working directly with the CDC for all camps in general. So she's really given us some really great guidance. Living here in Louisville, one of our uh, one of our folks here goes to church with her. He's an elder at Kenwood. So we had a really direct line to her, spent a lot of time with her. Long lead up to tell you what camp's going to look like. Sorry about that. Um, so the, the, basically, if you look at what proto- COVID protocols are, you want to limit exposure to as few people as possible mm-hmm. in case someone did test positive for COVID. So the best way I can explain it is we're going to take a, we're limiting our numbers to about 75 percent. We are dividing a camp. Let's say a camp of 600 will be divided into two camps of 300. Those 300 will be to, and these 300 and these 300 will never do a large group anything together. So 
two morning celebrations, two worship services, and then the dining hall will rotate where we'll never have more than 50% in a room together at one time. But that 300 will be divided into two groups of 150, which will be divided into groups of three groups of 50 or six groups, 150 to uh, will be divided into three groups of 50, if that makes sense. So the, the goal is that if someone tests positive for COVID, you would only have to quarantine or pull away 50 people. And we would uh, we are going to test this summer for COVID. So we'll have rapid tests there. If someone does test positive, we're going to have to get them home as quickly as possible, those kind of things. But uh, camp will feel and look different. And for those who go to camp and understand this, uh, they won't get to choose POIs this year, but they will rotate as a team. That 50 people will do everything together. They'll sleep mm-hmm. together. They'll eat together. They will do their recreational activities, if that's a good way to put it together. And then anytime you're inside a building, you'll wear a mask. So our goal was to make camp as as normal as possible and still follow the CDC guidelines. And we've spent a tremendous amount of time, man, trying to make this work. Um, I'll tell you, we haven't made everybody happy, but we've done a, a, the best we could to, to make camp feel normal uh, and be able to proclaim the gospel in a way that I feel like only crossings can do. Well, leadership never seems to satisfy every everybody. So, Lance, we just, we, we're, I mean, we're we're not finishing up COVID, but we're seeming a much better place than we were a year ago. You remember back a year ago at this time, we were hearing things like, "Let's take two weeks to flatten the curve, and maybe this won't last a long time." And so here we here we are a year later. COVID's been a challenge for leaders because everything is turned upside down. There's um, there's a f- decision fatigue that some leaders are dealing with. Some have described it as the, the great revealer. It didn't necessarily change things. It reveals things about, about us. Anything you learned about yourself in, in this past year of dealing with, with COVID? So for me personally as a leader, I, I think – I'm not sure it was new to me because I've always kind of been this guy, but in the middle of a crisis, I don't really get too stirred up about it. I stay pretty calm about things. Um, I think the difficulty, uh, what anybody as a leader really wants to ensure is that they can take care of their people well or as best they possibly can. Well, I feel like we've done a, a good, really good job of that, honestly. Um, so for me personally, I think it just revealed or reminded me that Man, in the, in the face of something difficult, uh, stay calm. Your calm gives everybody else calm. Your anxiousness gives everybody else anxious, right? So if I'm wound up, they're going to be wound up. If I'm calm, they're going to be calm. And if we can find a solution together, right, I think that also really helps. So a leader who can pull other people in for that decision gets their buy-in. They feel like they've been a part of it. Um, I think that's really been a, a, a big learning. It's not something new, but it, I think it kind of reinforced it. COVID's reinforced those things. Yeah. So uh, Lance, you're, you are a leader. You lead a, a large organization. Crossings has a $5 million plus budget. You have a, a good number. So how many full-time team members are there like pre-COVID with Crossings uh, roughly? Uh, so all all our staff together, uh, summer interns, except, uh, no, sorry, not summer interns, year-round interns, about 22 Okay, and then a bunch of summer folks that come on to help out for for that that season. So you're leading a, a large group of people. At, at what point did you kind of discover that you're a leader? You're you're doing this camp ministry. You were doing stuff in in, in the church, um, and then do do you embrace the, the that leadership mantle, or are you just kind of are you more reluctant to take that on? 
Yeah, you know, there's a kind of a debate theory of are people born leaders or are they or is it learned? I really believe it's both. Like, I think you, I think there are people out there, I can, and I can think of some specific that I know, man, they were just born leaders, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever they said, people kind of followed them, you know. Um, some people say that if you want to know if you're a leader, turn around, see if anybody's following you. Right. Right? There are people that just, people just naturally follow them. I, I definitely would tell you I'm not that. Yeah. I was, uh, what kind of got me on this path was I was at my brother's house. A lot of folks know my brother. Uh, he's the smarter, better looking of us. I always tell people. He but, says the same about you. <laughs> yeah. He lies too, though. See, I, yeah. that's the problem. <laughs> um, I was at his house. It was one Thanksgiving. Our kids were small. We were, my mom and dad, all of us were kind of at his house. And he was reading uh, John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And he started telling me about the book. And it got me interested because the environment that I worked in, kind of the culture of our, of our camp work at that point, was very collaborative, right? We kind of, we didn't really have, a, we, we had a boss, but he really kind of let us run camp and he did other things. And we were very collaborative. And what I, what I, what intrigued me about studying leadership was the idea that leadership is influence. If I'm going to go to meetings and I'm going to try to influence things in a direction, then man, I need to study this thing. So I, be, I began to, to study and learn about leadership and man, as you know, I read a lot. I listen to podcasts. The blogs that I read mostly are all around around leadership, uh, and it's just kind of been a leadership journey for me. I would tell you, I have always been really great with second chair leader, if you know that language, right? Sure. But uh, I've kind of went with where God took me, rather than I had a plan. So I didn't set out to be the president of anything. I just wanted to be faithful and I wanted to study to do what I did well. And it kind of led me to this path. Well, you, you do a great job. So Lance, you're again, a, a complicated ministry where the Lord has put you a lot of moving pieces, new folks that come on for a season, a lot of safety issues that you have to think about, especially with COVID, the, the, um, the financial challenges. My guess is that you do a lot of, you have to do a lot of management as well as, as well as leading. There's just a great deal of administrative work. So how do you, how do you balance taking care of all the management needs, making sure everything's happening on time, buildings are where they need to be, but also finding some space to kind of give visionary leadership to the future of the organization. How do you, how do you handle that? A great question. I think every leader struggles with where do I spend my time, right? Is it the mm-hmm. urgent or is that that thing that really moves the organization forward? So the way I've kind of framed it out for myself is I've, I haven't always been good at this, but I've really been working hard at becoming uh, more adept at this. And that's a setting goals. Mm-hmm. So setting goals really forces you to think about what do I need to accomplish? So I, I think of goals uh, first of all, I think about them annually. So uh, our board meets tomorrow and I'll give them my goals for the next two years, actually. Once they approve those goals, it kind of gives us a very clear direction on where we're going to go. And then my job is to keep those goals in front of folks. So a couple things I try really hard to do. First is I try really hard not to micromanage. If somebody has a job, I don't want to approve every single thing that they do. But if I'm not going to prove it, I don't know if you ever heard that the saying, um, don't expect what you don't inspect, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that, to me, there's a real balance of what do I, I need to look at and what do I just say, man, I trust you get it done. Everybody has to be on the same page of what our goals and, and our, our, so everybody has to know what our mission is. Everybody knows to, has to clearly understand what our values are to live within those values. 
and then clarity around their work. So I need to make sure that I'm really clear on what I expect, what our goals are, um, how I expect us to work. And then my job hopefully is made easier if everybody understands that. Then the management side of things is, man, I'll check on those things that are really important to me. And I want to make sure that I was clear because it's really going to affect us and then let go of everything else. But keep, I need to keep the mission and the vision and the values in the front and front all the time. So I've got to talk those things a lot. Uh, and, I, and I do think it's a balance. But then you are you, you use expect versus inspect. And so you, you are watching whether this this goal is um, being achieved. Is that what I'm hearing you say that you, you are kind of you have your nose in it a little bit, paying attention to what's what's happening? Yeah, absolutely. So you do have to kind of keep up, kind of, kind of know what's going on. I, I'm a little bit of the management side of me is hitting deadlines. I really want to make sure folks, sure folks are hitting their deadlines because in my world, if you miss this deadline, it affects three or four other people, right? So in the camp world, it's very collaborative. What the central office does or coordinates, the properties have to execute. So we want them involved in the planning process because they have to execute it. You want them to believe it and feel good about it. So you want to pass that off really clearly. But there are things that I'll, I'll, I'll want to look at. So there's something in particular I'm thinking of that um, I was talking with one of the folks yesterday. I said, hey, man, before that's finished, let me, let me just have a look at it before it goes out. Because I think about how it's going to affect the organization broadly. And I want to make sure that it aligns with what we're trying to accomplish and what our, our values are, if that makes sense. So you got to be, yeah, you be careful. You go ahead and finish. We're on a, we're on a team's conversation. It's easy to over talk each other. So I apologize for that. Please, please finish your statement. No, I think that's my fault actually. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Sure. I had anything else to say really okay. other than you just got to be careful not to overstep. And then when you are, inspecting it you never want to talk about it as inspection right sure. i mean let me see this before you send it out i just want to make sure that it's kind of what i'm thinking or but again if i've been really clear on the front end hopefully it'll feel more like uh hey man i just want to see it before it goes out rather than i don't trust you you don't want people to feel like you don't trust them absolutely and for me lance part of it is just the excitement of watching something develop and i just want to see what we're doing you know uh, we, we trained new trustees for the agencies and institutions, and one of the statements that I, I read in a document that was helpful was for a trustee or a board member, keep your keep your nose in so you can keep your fingers out. The, the last thing a, a board wants to do is have to get involved in the, in the management of, of an organization. But if you if you keep paying attention to it, hopefully that day would never come. And, and I think there's a, a role there for a leader as well that make sure you're aware of what's going on so that you don't have to micromanage. Well, let's go back to younger Lance Howerton in your first ministry position. Was that a music position? It was. And Lance, folks may not know that you've actually produced an album, and I think I've seen a picture oh. of the album cover with. Yeah, <laughs> with you. yeah. <laughs> I wish I had it to hold up with you and Brother Rick, and um, uh, was your dad part of that as well? Yeah, that's 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 pretty awesome. I'm I'm having fun, but it's it's pretty cool that you guys did that together. So your first role was a, a, a music position. What did you? Uh, what do you wish you could do over about that role? What do you wish you would have done different? at that, at that age, or what do you wish you would have known at that age about ministry? So, man, it was, uh, I was at Camelsville. It was, mm -hmm. uh, probably 1988, man, around 1980s, my guess. And I would drive, I was a part-time minister of music at First Baptist Church 11 in Kentucky. 
right? Okay. So I drive over. And this was, uh, I grew up as a, a minister's kid, right? So I, as surprising as may sound, when all the conservative stuff was bubbling up back in that day, I was really pretty oblivious to it. Even when I got to Southern, which would be hard to be oblivious, honestly, if I hadn't been a music student, I probably would have been a lot more attuned to it. Um, could talk about that for a while. But what I, what I found, when, I, when I went to that church, what I realized was the pastor was a really great guy, but he was more conservative than the church uh -huh. and became a lot of tension there. And it was, I wasn't adequately prepared at my age to be in the middle of that. Oh, so well. I didn't stay long. I, so interestingly enough, several years later, it's 1985, and I wound up at First Baptist Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Same thing happened. <clears throat> and uh, it's really difficult because people kind of want you to take a position or take a side. And, uh, man, I think what I learned through those two experiences was you have to stay true to your conviction and love. Right. Yeah. I didn't agree with, you know, a certain group of people. And I had to stay true to my conviction, but it didn't mean that I had to be nasty, ugly. I didn't have to dislike them. Um, I tried to still be a person of grace. Uh, I really do believe in that idea of what, if you just think about what would Jesus do, how would he treat them? I think it goes mm -hmm. a long way. Lance, were you at Campbellsville? Did you ever know uh, Pastor Dan Hunt? He was, he pastored a church around Campbellsville and brought Steve Ayers in for, I think for revival at one time and revival kind of spilled out of that church and went, went larger, but it may have been after you were, you were there. Well, you've been around some, some effective leaders and some really faithful, godly people in your ministry career so far. Can you name two or three principles or good ministry examples that you've seen from other leaders? Tell us the, the person who embodied it and kind of what, what you learned. Man, the first one's really easy for me, a guy named Joe Palmer. Uh, Joe's still a really close friend of mine. Uh, we're exactly 10 years uh, different in age. When I went to what was the Baptist Science School Board as an intern, um, we didn't. We, we worked in the same department, but I was actually doing camp, and he was doing another, another thing there. So he wasn't that connected to what I was brought there to do. But he just really took me under his wing, uh, treated me like family, just fell in love with him and, and, and his family. He, and, and when I wound up at Lifeway, he actually brought me there. So I worked with Joe for about close to 20 years. He was my boss. Uh, and the thing I learned from Joe, Joe more than anything was how to treat people, in a especially in a large organization. Maybe it's even more important than a small one. I'm not sure. But I saw a guy, I, I, would, I would say to you this day, I've never heard him say a bad word about anybody ever right. and in a large organization like that uh, you get kicked around moved around people are jockeying for money for opportunity i remember him saying to me one time uh treat everybody well because you never know who your boss is going to be in a year or two right and there's a lot of truth in that babbitt school board now lifeway there's a lot of truth in that large organization we're always changing and shifting but i saw him treat everybody with incredible amount of respect and trust and love. And he was just one of those guys that everybody loved. And I saw him get things nobody else could get because he had built a relationship with people and treated them with grace and kindness. And I really think whether it's ministry world, camp world, business world, uh, if you live in that mentality, there's, there's plenty out there, right? You're not, it's not for your personal gain. 
Uh, man, when I think about our crossings, there are camps that won't let you come see what they do. And I want to have the exact opposite approach. I want that approach of what's your what's your starting point? If, my, if our starting point, our mission and our goal is to spread the gospel, should we really care where that happens? Should I really care if it's with crossings or an associational camp or a I would rather be the kind of organization that says, how can I help you do what you do? Yeah. Not how, man, you're competing with me and you're going to hurt me. So he, he really instilled those things in me. There was a tense time one time with another camp and he just looked at me and said, Lance, there are, I forgot how many thousand students in church on Sunday and Sunday morning. And here's how many come to camp. I mean, you got to stop. And he said it ni- way nicer than I'm saying it right now, but he basically mm-hmm. tried to point out to me that don't think there's not enough. Man, yeah. we're all doing, our goal is the same. It shouldn't matter where they're, where they're going to attend camp at. There's, there's plenty of students out there. So his ability to love and care for people, a quick story. I was sitting, uh, he and I were sitting in a meeting with a guy named Byron Hill. The two com- he was over the two conference centers. The conference centers were struggling at that point. And they had let another student life camp in uh, and gave them their best housing and gave, I found out they gave them a cheaper price than us. I was really frustrated. And uh, I remember him saying, things with him, he and I got a little bit tense and Joe's sitting kind of next to me. And I remember I just said to him, finally, I said, I want a little respect, man. Like I thought about all that centrifuge had done for the conference centers and and it had, we had done a lot. Uh, And I thought like, man, why would you give somebody else this and, and, and charge them less than us? I would, I would tell you, a couple of weeks ago, I was with Joe Palmer and another friend of mine, and he mentioned that. And I said, you know, today I would tell you I was wrong. Yeah. And where I'm headed with that is Joe Palmer stopped that meeting. We left. And in between, with him and another very close friend of mine, not only did, did uh, I co- go back and apologize for that, but I would tell you that he and I, the guy that I got frustrated with, I would tell you today, I look back and go, he was right. I was wrong. We healed that relationship. And I was probably one of his biggest supporters when he left Lifeway. Isn't so, that amazing? Yeah, that's incredible. So, Lance, those are those are transformative experiences. When you get to see someone embody a, a Christian principle, you just can't get away from it, can you? No, man, I'll tell you, I would tell anybody uh, – Kind of my verse is love the Lord, Lord to God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't think there's a lot in this world that's simple or, you know, really clearly black and white. But, man, if you can just live that, I love him with more than anything in me, and I want to treat others just like I want to be treated. That Joe, Joe Palmer was the ex- exemplified that for me, the way he treated people who worked for him, the yeah. people that he was around. And what I'm the, the real point I'm trying to make is, that gave him opportunity that others couldn't get because he treated sure. people with love and respect. That yeah. was a really big one for me. He, he wasn't doing it for that pragmatic reason, but that was that's that's an impact when you do the when you do the right thing. That uh, it, it just the Lord honors it makes a difference. Well, so Joe has obviously you've seen Joe live out Christian principles. Name someone else that that you've really seen out live out a, a leadership example in a way that stuck with you. Yeah, so Eric Geiger came as vice president when I was there. Eric, um, i tell a lot of stories about Eric, but one of the things that I think was really good about him, he gave really clear expectations and goals. Look, mm-hmm. with, with Eric, you could be in some hot water and he could be pretty pointed about it. But as I always tell people, I was never surprised by it, right? It was only on one occasion can I think 
that he surprised me with something. He was really, really clear on expectations. He really helped me learn the importance of your mission and your values and how you integrate your values. So culture is, you probably heard the phrase culture eats breakfast or culture eats strategy for lunch, mm -hmm. right? That culture is way more important than your strategy. I think more than anything from him, I learned about the importance of the clarity of our mission uh, and the need for values and how values actually influence culture. That was a really big learning uh, from him. And I'll give you a third one just really quick. John Cramp was the vice president I worked for before Eric. He's now the senior vice president of HarperCollins uh, Publishing, which is part of Thomas Nelson. But um, John really showed me a guy who could have a hard conversation in a really gracious way. Oh, um, and, and to when someone is not happy with you, don't try to defend yourself. As a leader, don't try to defend yourself. Don't. Uh, I can remember one time I got this critical, uh, critical letter. Of course, back then, that letter would always go to you and to the president of Lifeway. If you replied back, you had to have the presidency. And, Eric, uh, and John uh, Cramp said to me, hey, before you send that out, let me see it. So he inspected Right. He inspected it before it went out. He read it and he came back to me and said, uh, Lance, let me give you just a little word of advice uh, to try to defend each and everything's not helpful. Just make a short, caring reply. And I've really hung on to that, trying to help people see what you see and help them feel what you feel. Like, man, I didn't mean that. Like you're taking that all wrong isn't really helpful. So John was good with having hard conversations in a way that wasn't nasty, and that's I've worked for some people that weren't like that, and to be able to help me see that, man, the way to reply to critics, there's a particular way that you can do that that's more helpful than hurtful, and ways you can do it that's more hurtful than helpful. Lance, that's so helpful. So let, let's unpack a couple of those a little bit. So let's let's say a, a, a team member, let's let's leave crossings and go to some other ministry place. A team member comes to you, and and uh, they're trying to defend. Uh, an, an action that you've corrected. You said, look, this, this, this can't go on. And, and what you get back is a, is a defense. What does that do for you at that point as a leader? What, what, how do you feel the need to respond to that, that defense? Uh, the first thing I think about is, man, that's not helpful, right? To defend yourself isn't going to help anything. Uh, okay. I, I would, uh, I would probably say, man, you really just need to own this. Yeah. Defense isn't really isn't helpful. Look, maybe we see this differently, but at the end of the day, what what I think everybody needs to realize <laughs> is the point leader is ultimately responsible for everything that everybody does. It, you're not critical because you disagree with them or you think they're terrible people, but you are ultimately responsible. If somebody does something at crossings that is hurtful for crossings, I am accountable and responsible for that. I can't blame it on anybody else. So again, that ability to be really clear up front so everybody knows what's expected is, is so important. And then the values of how we work, right? Those work values, those things expected of you become so critical to avoid those kind of, having to have those kind of conversations. I think that I heard some counsel somewhere in probably peace, I think it was peacemaking literature, where it says you, you may only be responsible for 2% of the problem, but you're 100% responsible for your 2%. And so as, as you said, just just own it. There may be a chance later to to say, let's unpack that and talk it through. But at the moment, the the, the best thing to say is uh, is uh, I, I take responsibility and and move on. And that allows everyone to, to move on. You made a comment from Eric. 
Eric Geiger about the the connection between va- I think values and mission was that the connection you were making? Uh, values and culture, right? Values and culture. Explain that a little bit. Yeah. So if you looked at Crossing's values, if we live our values of uh, Christ-like character and serve, being a servant, I'm not going to quote. I'm just going to kind of give a few of them right now. Uh, one that's really important to me is to honor up, down, all around, always and only value, edify, and speak well of others, right? Wait a minute. It, up, down, all around. Yeah. So honor up, down, all around, always and only value, edify, and speak well of others. Uh, I think values need to be short. That that one's not, not as short as I would like, but I actually dro- drove that one. We, we developed these as an organization, right? I didn't write these and pass them out. We developed this organization. But if you take that one specifically, if I honor God and I honor those that I work, who work for me, if you would, and I honor those that I work with, so up, down, and those around me, that those equal, if I, if I honor those and I value, so I have this belief that people really need to feel valued. And a really quick story, at Life, we were always moving offices and I have people come into me and they'd tell me how many square inches they were losing in their office. And well, I had this kind of desk and now I've got this kind of desk. And it, I, that stuff never meant a whole lot to me. So I really struggle with it. It happened long enough. I could tell you a few more stories, but for time's sake, I won't. What I came to believe was people weren't really saying, you know, complaining about the size of office. They were really asking you, man, am I still a valuable employee? Because size of office, type of desk location, you know, the, the proximity of you to your leader meant something to people that I'm not sure it should, but it did. What they're really saying is, do you value me? So as leaders, our job is to help people feel valued. As our, as a, even in the way that you have to correct somebody, it shouldn't devalue them. It shouldn't make them feel less of an employee or a person or a follower right. of Christ, right? So that idea of value, so honor up, down, all around, Always and only. So always value, edify, and speak well of others, right? So our words should always be complimentary. One of the things I tend to point out is we love to use sarcastic humor. Sarcasm is at somebody else's expense. And they're most likely going to laugh or smile because who wants to say, hey, man, that's hurtful, right? People don't want to do that. So one of the things that I think we all struggle with, I can do, can too if I'm not careful, is stay away from that sarcastic humor. Mm-hmm. So if those are, you think about the values, to that being just one of them, if we live those values, it develops the culture that we work and live in. All of a sudden, the culture is one of uplifting each other, finding the positive in each other, never speaking ill of each other. Being a servant, man, I'm going to I'm gonna volunteer to take the back seat today. I'm not going to call dibs on the front seat or whatever. Somebody, you know what I'm saying? That idea of how can I help you is more important than what can, how, what can you do for me? I hope that makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. It's really, it's really helpful. Thank you for 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 sharing it. You mentioned um, John. I think you said his last name was Cramp, but he was he was really good at difficult conversations. Can you give an example of a difficult conversation that you've had to have with someone without any detail that would give away the conversation, where maybe you practiced something that you saw him saw him doing? Because that's that's hard for lots. Pastors are in difficult conversations. They have to talk to church members who've been disruptive or who are doing something on social media that's not helpful for the larger, you know, characterization of the of the church. I think all of us struggle with having to go and have a tough talk with someone. 
Well, I, I tell you, I don't like it. Right? You do it because you have to, not because you want to. Right. Um, I, a, a few little tips on it. Uh, don't start with a lot of chit chat. How's your day? Like, just get to it. <laughs> just, be, just be clear, be concise, be quick, be kind. Be clear, be concise, be quick, be kind. Right? Yeah. So you don't have to say it in a nasty way. You can say it in a soft spoken, hey man. We just need to talk about this. There's something I saw, something we need to fix. You know, if somebody's living outside of our values, you know, it's easy to, to pull them aside and say, hey, man, I need you as a leader to set the example on our values. And I, I don't really see you doing that right now, right? Those kind of conversations can be had to the point, clear, concise, uh, and caring. Yeah. So, Lance, let's say I'm there in the, in the building and, and the, you guys have one of those bun coffee makers, which is I think there's one over my shoulder. I'm in a different location today and that that I, I come along. I mean, this is happening every day and I get the last amount of coffee down to that last little bit. But I just leave like a quarter inch in there and I leave the burner on and I do it all the time. And I just keep doing it. And you have to come talk to me about about that. Um, it's on you to do it because nobody else wants to talk to me about that. Everybody's mad. I've ruined the culture. <laughs> How would you start that conversation with me? <laughs> I think I'd say, hey, Todd, when you finish that coffee, if you leave it, here's what's going to happen. And it yeah. really, it's it's difficult for everybody. It makes it hard for everybody. Man, I yeah. just need you to pour it out, turn off the burner, set it down. I actually had something. Well, let me just leave it at that. <laughs> well, I sure don't want to get you in trouble. Uh, man, leadership is fun, and it's if a, if a person wants to grow, then just accept a leadership position because God will always use leadership to sanct to, to sanctify the leader. We're growing people, so I ask you about good examples. Could you share a, a you know a, a, a negative example, not mentioning a name or a person, but a place where you saw poor leadership being carried out, and you've tried to avoid that yourself? Yeah, I think what comes to mind for me mostly, and I've told stories about this from time to time, um, I've seen leaders who yell at people in public. Oh, wow. Who um, call out folks in public, who are quick to fire, but not clear about expectations. I always feel like if somebody's going to get fired, it really shouldn't come as a big surprise to them, right? Mm. But I think for me, the things that stuck with me, I'll tell you a couple couple stories. I, I, I've literally seen somebody stand up and stick their finger in somebody's face and yell at them, or I can't believe you even have a job here, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's, a couple, a Christian or, that's a Christian organization. I mean, this is, yeah, that's right. these, these believers, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I would tell you, I, 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 there are things I learned from those people too, right? It wasn't that they did everything bad, but a couple, couple quick stories. Uh, we had a standing 7.30 Monday morning meeting. Um, 7.30 Central Time, <laughs> that means, right? It means a little bit of something that goes early. Anyway, 7.30, uh, every Monday morning meeting, uh, one, of the, one of the people that worked uh, with me, uh, our boss was at the whiteboard. She came in a little bit late, and she had just sat down right next to me, and he turned around and kind of pointed at her and said, in a, in a more harsh way than I'm going to say it here, you just wasted everybody's time you need to stand up and apologize to everybody right now. And he said it again, yeah. harsher than I said it, very pointed, very angry. She did that. I followed her to her office when we left the meeting. I said, I'm just, I'm so sorry. And she looked at me and started crying. And she said, Lance, I have a, uh, um, a, 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 a challenged child who can't, I can't just drop off at school. 
Um, my husband and I are separated. Um, wow. It's really difficult for me to get her at all. And she just started crying. And uh, she, she actually wound up uh, resigning a few months later. Um, that's one of those, like, I just felt so sorry for her. Yeah. Uh, another time I was uh, in a meeting and um, this leader had not been there very long, but we were in that same meeting and he asked somebody for, he didn't give an agenda. So that day we didn't know what we we're going to cover. And he asked somebody for something. And that, that person looked out and, and kind of stammered and said, uh, uh, and he quickly said, Hey man, you're going to come to this meeting. You better be prepared. And again, he's more harsh and angry than I'm saying it now. What we all knew in the room was the guy's wife had had a, had breast cancer and had a double mastectomy the day before. And he was having a pacemaker put in the next day. And so, um, once he realized what the, the, that our leader was asking for, he quickly provided the information, but it was very angry, harsh, like if you're going to have a job here. So on several occasions, I would hear, I can find somebody else who wants this job if you can't do better than that. Yeah. As a leader, that's not motivating. It's not uplifting. It does not, it does not value people. It is not honoring up, down, or all around, as I would, mm -hmm. as I would think of it in our terms today. Um, I can tell you some other examples of, but I, again, I go back to that deal as a leader. It's not what they can do for me, right? It's what I, what can I do for them? How do I develop people around me to be better leaders, to do their work better? And I don't think, I don't think that motivates people to want to be better. I think it scares them. So you've, I mean, this caused you to have a real shift in thinking and a, and a philosophical approach to leadership that it's not just about these, this group I'm working with, about them getting the things done. It's about, it's about developing them as people, empowering them and, and really being a, being a blessing to them for lack of yeah. better. Trying to do that. Yep. Hey Lance, you're, you're a reader. So uh, what, what are you, what are you reading right now? What's a book that you kind of have close by? So, um, I've talked to you a little bit about, I know I've talked to you a little bit about this book. I've read it, man. You recommended it and I read it. We need to warn our readers that, that um, he, he doesn't have this, he doesn't have a Baptist, a, a typical Baptist view of, of uh, wine consumption, I think is a fair, a fair way of, he references wine a, a few times in his book, but an incredible book. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. So tell us a little bit about the ruthless elimination of hurry. What's the author's name? Uh, uh, what is it? Well, John Mark Comer, I believe he's a pastor of an Oregon, if I remember right. I think so. Yeah, somewhere up northwest. Yeah, John Mark Comer. It's been a little while since I read it, um, but man, it really impacted me. Part of it, I think, for me was his writing style, but part of it, too, was I think he, it felt like he was speaking right to me. And it, it, I mean, if I could just kind of sum up the book, like, man, I've been one of those guys. I don't sleep a lot. I wake up and as quick as I can get out of the house, the better off I am, you know, like I can be, I want to be the first one in. I want to set a good example. I want to turn on the lights and I want to be the last one to leave. Not, not saying any of that's terrible, sure. but that idea of, man, what is the hurry for? Like, what does that do to me and my spirit? So my daughter gave me this book for my birthday and I just set it to the side because there's some other things that I was reading at the time and some other stuff that I was doing. So I kind of put it away and she kept bringing it up. So finally I read it. And so some things that resonated with me was that idea of, so you know that it may be a problem if you roll through a stop sign. Well, my wife was always saying to me, Hey, you know, you're rolling through that stop sign, right? <laughs> She's always saying, or you're, you're behind somebody and you're frustrated because they're not driving fast enough. And I, and I'm like, Oh, and I've looked down and realized, well, they're driving the speed limit and I'm, I'm frustrated and angry because they're not, 
breaking the law, right? Yeah. Uh, just some simple things like that. And so it really kind of changed the way I do my, my morning, especially. Um, I wake up about the same time. I stay away from the news. I spend more time with the Lord. I don't leave the house till I've read some, a good bit, actually. Usually, I've usually spent about an hour and a half before I leave the house in yeah. quiet time reading. And I'm trying to train my dog. <laughs> so long story yeah. about a uh, and I, so I take a little bit of time to train my dog. So in my old life, if you would, I would uh, have been up and out as quickly as I could. And I've really kind of changed the habit. And it has helped me a tremendously feel more centered, more focused. Man, I do a quick time, quiet time, right? Try to get out the door quick. And it just really has refocused me. He, he talks about some stuff in here. He kind of go, yeah. he talked about only having, I think, three summer outfits, three pairs of pants and three shirts, and he rotates them or something. Yeah, he, he's really embraced a, a, a minimalist lifestyle along with it. But, I mean, the, the guy was a megachurch pastor and just felt like he was killing himself and everybody around him and came back and asked if he could go and serve as one of the pastors or one of the campuses yeah. of the yeah. church, and that's where he is now. And he's embraced a slower lifestyle involving weekly Sabbath, um, I think probably even some daily solitude time and reflection as well as some time times away and uh, a, a lot of really helpful, helpful things. I think that last the writing style that maybe is helpful. He's not preaching. It's not a preachy book. He's just telling his own story. And in hearing his story, you kind of like make self application. Yeah. Uh, I'm, right now I'm reading canoeing the mountain. Um, How do you like it? Uh, so not being in church world, if you would, it's uh, interesting, but I will tell you, I, I'm really, really enjoying the book. I think the concepts would apply to anybody who is leading an organization through change. Crossings isn't in that place, but I've still found it really fascinating because there are things I can learn and apply to my work and life, even though I don't feel like we're in a, in a time of transition or change. But it's, I think it's a great book, and any pastor that's leading change, man, it's a its a really, really good read. Uh, apparently, you've read it. My brother actually put me onto it. Oh, Rusty Ellison first, and then my brother mentioned it. So I, okay. as soon as I finished the one before it, I, I, I grabbed it. I'm, I'm about three-quarters of the way through right now. But it's also made me want to read about Lewis and Clark. I don't know. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I've, I've not read it. But I've, heard, I've heard about it. So you mentioned that you listen to podcasts and leadership podcasts. What are, what, what are a couple of podcasts that you found helpful? Uh, well, my phone's locked. Um, I listened to, I think his name's Carrie. Newhoff? Yes, thank you. I'd never pronounce it correctly. Mm -hmm. I listened to his. I actually think Andy Stanley's um, podcast, leadership podcasts are good, although uh, I've been listening to those for a really long time. I think his earlier ones were better than his, than his latter ones. So he's been doing mm -hmm. it for years now. Um. There's a pastor out of Oklahoma at a megachurch. I think are excellent podcast leadership podcast. Craig Rochelle. Yeah, yeah. Really, really great podcast. Well, you just learn stuff, even if you don't agree philosophically with everything that they're saying and doing. You can, Lance. I think we ought to be able to learn in every circumstance, good ones and bad ones. Um, so you're always living out leadership principles, and I, I always enjoy having lunch with you or just sitting down and have a conversation because I hear you say something that really sticks with me at that, at that moment. And you might not be able to come up with anything right off the bat, but what's a principle or two that you're trying to apply to your life these days, or even back a year ago that you have actually implemented into your ministry? 
I don't think I had a term for it till recently, or I hadn't thought of it in this terms, but that idea of servant leadership and mm-hmm. what does that actually look like? I know one, one of the things I'm really trying to apply to my own life and, and leadership is uh, the idea of l- asking more questions, like listen more, talk less is kind of the way mm-hmm. I phrase it to myself. I'll literally go into a meeting and say to myself, listen more, talk less, ask good questions. Yeah. I actually was listening to a podcast and they suggested lead a meeting and never do anything but ask questions. Mm-hmm. And it may seem a little counterproductive for a leader, but I don't actually think it is. I think as a leader, for you to give all the answers doesn't help their growth, right? And I think that a lot of times they actually have the answer. They just want you to affirm it. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things for me is uh, being able to ask a lot of really good questions to remember that as a, the idea of servant leadership is, man, my goal is to help them. I'm trying to think of the way I heard it one time is don't think less of yourself, but think of yourself less. Mm-hmm. Right? I really love that idea of, man, don't, don't, I don't, I shouldn't think less about me or of me, but I don't need to, it does, it isn't about me, right? How do I that help? Was, that was C.S. Lewis's definition of humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but just thinking of yourself less, less often. Right, man. Now I know where it came from. That That's really helpful. So then I think for me, Personally, the idea of, I, th- I think God wired me uh, to, to some degree that way, right? I think that's kind of who he naturally made me. But to put a focus on it, because I'm not always the best listener. I'm, I'm like, I would say most men, right? I, you got a problem. I love solving problems. Come in with a problem. Let me answer it for you. And I'm trying to pull back from that and say, okay, what do I need to ask here? What's the right question to ask? I can guide him to the right answer. But what is the right question to ask to help me get there? Just remember, it's not about me, man. It's just not yeah. about me. It's about the mission that we've been called to do. So I think that's kind of the one of the, the big ones for me right now. So, Lance, you, you and I have talked a little bit about blind spots. And I discovered one recently that I just, man, I mean, you know, the whole idea of a blind spot is I started to say that I just wasn't aware of. Well, that's what a blind spot is. <laughs> You're just everyone else sees it, but you don't see it. And um, and what it, the the blind spot that stood out to me was that sometimes by faith, my I do not have a poker face at all. I have no if, if I'm frustrated, everybody in the room knows I'm frustrated. <laughs> if I'm not happy with the way something is gone, everyone around knows that I'm I'm not happy. And and you know the crazy thing about that is, I I just didn't realize it. And when I discovered it, I called I called Connie, my wife, and I told her, I said, Connie, I, you know, I've just discovered this. And she's kind of like, where have you been? <laughs> have you have you ever had a blind spot discovery? Uh, I think I need to, is what I, the way I tell you. So I don't think I've had that discovery yet. I know well, I know you, some weaknesses for sure. If you'll pray about it, some the if you'll pray about it, the Lord will point out to you if there is anything. I'm not aware of, of any of any any blind spots at all. Hey, so what are some of the the blessings and challenges of camp ministry? Well, let's talk challenges first, right? Okay. Um, COVID's brought its own set of unique challenges. How do we do camp? Live within the guidelines that are given to us. It's taken a tremendous amount of time to develop what we think is not only safe, but meets requirements and guidelines from the state. Um, And COVID's been tough. First, to get us through the year, right? No no income, no guest, if you would, on property for a year. But man, I got to tell you, 
um, the Lord has been incredibly gracious to us. A lot of camps struggling big time. We're not in that position. Um, we, uh, the, the KVC was really gracious to us, gave us over $300,000 this year from what used to go to the University of Cumberland's. Incredibly gracious. Um, the PPP money has been super helpful for us. We've got a tremendous amount of help from that. Um, we, we sold a piece of property we were going to sell anyway. It was already part of our plan. We didn't need to do it, so we kind of backburnered it. COVID hits. We're like, my man, now's probably the time to sell because, you know, yeah. money's going to be tight. It's going to be difficult. Um, I talked to several realtors, auctioneers, landed on an auctioneer, but everybody told me you're going to get about X amount of dollars out of this. We sold it a few weeks ago. Um, we will actually make all over 200000 more than we had expected off of that property. And Got they lowballed they lowballed you an offer, it sounded like, and you could have taken the lowballed offer, and, and the offer, would, I think, was consistent with what folks had told you that you'd probably get, but you guys you guys held out. That's right. Man, I would just tell you, we're going to round this COVID corner in great, great, great condition financially, which is, as a leader, right, if, if we can't pay our people, we can't make, um, you know, the loan payment, if you would, then you become... Uh, you know, you're not going to be stressed, but you're going to, you're going to worry about your people having to get through this thing. So I would say first all, man, I feel incredibly blessed that God's kind of put us in this position. A challenge though, on the COVID side is how do you develop camp where everybody's happy? Man, we've got people who are like, man, we're not coming. You guys aren't safe enough. We've got other people saying, you're going to make us do that. We're not going to come. Mm-hmm. And we really feel like we've developed, developed camp in a way that it both meets the guidelines of the CDC, what our governors ask us to do, at the same time, really not compromising the experience that you'll have. We feel really good about it. But that realization, man, you're just not going to make everybody happy. Got to respect their decision. I, I embrace it. I welcome it. I, I'm, I'm great to say, man, if that's what you need to do, I totally understand. Hope you'll help you join us again next year. But our numbers, our registration numbers are actually really strong right now. We'll see what happens by the end of this week. We kind of have a deposit deadline that's non-refundable. We always have a drop coming up to that. We backed it up a month to help churches out. But I think people are feeling confident about getting the other side of COVID. They're ready to be out. So, but, but, but the difficulty has been negotiating COVID. I think on outside of COVID, I don't think we're unique um, honestly, than any other organization or leader, just making sure everybody's on the same page, everybody's thinking the same way, that keeping the values out in front of folks, our mission, committed to that mission, just staying on top of it. I don't think that's, again, I don't think that's unique to camp or the Kentucky Baptist Convention or a church or a business. I think we all have to kind of focus on a struggle with those things. So I think that's a challenge. Um, a blessing for me, man, Guys, I would just tell you, if you've never been to worship at camp, you just yeah. got to go. There's nothing like standing in the back of the auditorium and watching 800 students worshiping the Lord. Man, I get I get chills right now just thinking about it. Um, Rusty Ellison, for those of you who know Rusty, man, he's a bit older than I am, and I'm not young. And Rusty, man, he does the same. He gets back there, and it's just, there's just nothing like watching a bunch of students worship the Lord. It's just the blessing of camp ministry. Lance, you interact with pastors and leaders who utilize crossings. What are what are two or three quick things that pastors or student ministers tell you they love about crossings camp? Why do they why do they choose crossings over other opportunities? Uh, staff, like you, you'll always hear about the staff. The second thing is 
Crossing's DNA has been to listen <clears throat> to their to their to their folks, like to group leaders. So we have we have. I did not start this. I wish I had been smart enough to do to start this. But uh, David Melber started this some years ago. And we do a lunch for group leaders. So the last full day of every camp session, I'll be at property. We'll have a special lunch for them, and I'll just say, "Man, tell me how we're doing. Where we can improve. What can we do better?" And I would say it's the most valuable thing Crossings does. People always will stop on the way out the door after lunch and say, man, just thanks for listening. I really appreciate this about Crossings. You guys really care about what we think. I actually think that would apply to any organization, any church. I think there are, there are ways to do this that are hugely helpful. Do we learn, do we change a lot? Man, not really. You hear the same thing a lot. But if you hear the same thing two or three times, you need to be smart enough to change it, right? If, right. if you hear it enough, and every once in a while you get this really, really great idea, but outside of all of that, the the willingness to listen, be open, like you sometimes have to prod them, hey man, I really appreciate the compliments, but tell us how we can get better, right? Tell us how we can get better. There's nothing, I think, more valuable than, than that. Yeah, that's super helpful. Lance, we're going to wrap up our time. I, I want to just tell you what a privilege it is for me to get to partner with you and, and work with you closely in the building in Louisville, but really develop a friendship with you. I'm thankful that you serve Crossings, uh, representing Kentucky Baptist. We're grateful that cooperative program dollars go to help support your ministry. You've stated numerous times that KBC helped you. That's 2,300 churches that that have sent dollars sacrificially that value the work that you're doing. We didn't get a chance to talk about some of the ways that you all are serving in doing camp in a more inner city environment, um, but you're you're really striving to make an impact in as many places as you can. So I'm grateful for you. How can we pray for you as we end this time? Uh that we get through the summer without having to cancel a camp session. That's been one of my goals. Um, we got a 13,000 as our goal for the summer. We've got over 15,000 registered today. I do not want to have to cancel a campus session. And let me tell you, that's because church leaders tell us, man, please don't cancel. We, we've been living for this week. We need time with our students. Yeah. So we're doing everything we can not to have to cancel a camp session this summer. That's, that's kind of the, that's my biggest prayer. Well, let's pray, and others who will uh, view, will ask them to join in with us in prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for camp, and thank you for the impact that you've used it as a platform for the gospel. Thank you for Lance and how you developed him as a leader. Thank you for the team at Crossings that strives to embody Christ-like living and leadership and serve kids and students with, with the good news of Christ. Father, we, we honor Lance's request, and we pray in the name of Jesus that you would put a just a protection around these camps this summer and that you would guard them from a, a need to close out a camp. We just ask you that you give wisdom for everything that they do, that if they're sick children, that they wouldn't come to camp, dear Lord, that COVID would be at such a minimal a place of spreading at the time camp actually starts, that it just wouldn't be an issue. And we pray this would be one of the greatest camp seasons that they've ever had as an organization. We pray many students would cross over from spiritual death into spiritual life. We pray that even, even leaders would be strengthened and encouraged and refreshed as they dedicate their life to ministering to students. Please use Lance. Please strengthen, protect, and grow him as a leader. Please develop this ministry. Please provide everything they have need of. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Lance, thank you for taking the time. I'm grateful for you. You too, my friend. Thanks for listening to Leadership Lessons. This program is made possible by the generous contributions by Kentucky Baptist through the cooperative program. 
For more information about the Kentucky Baptist Convention, go to kybaptist.org. And for news about how Kentucky Baptist churches are making a difference, go to kentuckytoday.com.